We're in a new series today uh, called The Beautiful Resistance. And uh, if you were here last week, it was so, so incredible. Pastor Steve, they're at a wedding this weekend, but uh, he opened up the series last week talking about what we are um, pursuing, which is Jesus, and being careful that we don't live in this place where we only resist and never know what we are pursuing. And it was such a powerful image of this idea that, you know what, we're pursuing Jesus, we're pursuing the way of Jesus, we want to love like Jesus, live like Jesus, follow Jesus, and that that is our vision, and as we do that, these other things tend to be a lot easier to fall, fall off. But when we make our enemy the vision, then suddenly we end up becoming more like the enemy rather than becoming more like Jesus. And when the way that we don't want to go, like some of you are afraid of some of the things that are happening in the world right now, and, and I share your, um, your feelings, if you're not careful, that opposing that will become your vision. And following Jesus will, will, will live in the dust, way back in the road, and you're like, where, why, why did I end up in all of this fear and, and, and all of this worry? It's because the vision was the very thing you were meant to be running from, and, or instead of running from it, you like ran towards it, and you missed the fact that God gives us a better vision. So that is the foundation for this series. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look beautiful today. You look beautiful today. Now what I want you to do is I want you to just give them a little shove. Just push them. Just like give them a shove like I'm resisting you now, okay? Beautiful resistance. And um, the core idea of this series um, was actually inspired by a book called Beautiful Resistance written by John Tyson. I would encourage you to pick it up. And we use this idea at least um, to launch this series. We're doing our own thing, but... This is the inspiration for it, and I want to give credit to, to John Tyson, the author of that book, and his, his basic idea is this must resist that, and it started from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you might know who he is, an important character in fighting the Nazis, and, and it was, uh, I won't go into his whole story, but a lot of people thought he was crazy for what he was doing, and he was like operating like a secret seminary. And one of his friends was like in town, like, dude, what are you doing? Come home. Like, this is a waste of time. So he takes him up a hill, and he, they overlook a, a, an, um, a, a training camp for, for Nazi soldiers. He says, you want to know why I do this? It's because this, what we are doing, is produce, producing people that are stronger than that. This must be stronger than that. Now, here's what we don't want to do is we don't want to equate every situation that we deal with like it is Nazi Germany. But here's what we do do. We understand that there are forces, and there are ideologies, and there are ideas, and there are fears that if we're not careful, we will respond to them rather than be stronger than them. What we want to do is we want to be so full of a vision from God that we have no problem being able to overcome what is coming at us. And I want to turn your attention to 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings in the Old Testament. And uh, this chronicles the stories of many of the, the Old Testament kings. And uh, we, we actually talked about one um, several weeks ago, Jehoshaphat. And it would say about these kings, they did what was right or they did what was wrong or evil in the eyes of the Lord. And today I want to read about this King Joash. 
In the seventh year, it says this, in 2 Kings, sorry, chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 1. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years. His mother's name was Zibiah. She was from Beersheba. Josh, <laughs> these are hard words to say, okay, so give me a break. Joash, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years that the priest instructed him. The high places, however, were not removed, and the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. The high places were not removed. I want to speak on this idea, worship must resist ideology. And if, you, if you're taking notes, you can write down, worship must resist ideology with the subtitle, The Thing About High Places. The Thing About High Places. Uh, if you write that down, then you can close your eyes and you can pray with me. Let's believe that God's going to speak to us today. God, thank you so much for um, just what you're doing in the life of our church and not just in this building, but God, in each of us as individuals. And we thank you, God, even for that reminder today that you are Jireh, our provider. You are more than enough. Let us operate from a reminder and a constant understanding that we do not need to manufacture this thing and fix it ourselves, but we can actually rely on you. We love you, God, and we thank you for the sunshine. May it stay all this week. We resist the forecast that says it's gonna rain. We're done. We're done, God. And, and you and I have had a partnership, Lord, um, where we've been talking lately, and you made it sunny for Easter. You made it sunny for Mother's Day. And, and I believe it's because you heard my prayer. And so I just believe that you're going to hear my prayer today, and you're going to make it sunny all week long in Jesus' name. Everyone who agreed with that prayer said amen. amen. Thank you. And if it's not, do not blame me. Blame God. He's the one who put the sun up there. So uh, I remember, uh, by the way, I want to shout out my neighbors. I'm not going to call them out, but they're here. My neighbors are here. So um, you guys can investigate who they are. But uh, whoever's looking around right now, that's my neighbors. Um, I told them I was going to come and make them wave, but I'm not going to do that. And so um, I remember a time, I, I'm, I'm not super proud of this. And I'm honestly impressed by the fact that I'm still married. Noel and I will celebrate our 14-year anniversary on Tuesday. And uh, thank you. Thank you. 14 years. I'm not going to comment on my age, but I don't know how we made it to here, not because our marriage hasn't been great, but because some of the events that happened before we, we got married. Um, I, uh, I dated, Noel and I dated um, just after high school, and we were, we were young and immature, especially me, and we dated for about three and a half weeks, and then we, then we called it quit, quits. It didn't work. Just wasn't it. it. I wasn't ready. I was immature. About three days later, I realized I am an idiot. And I spent the next almost three years regretting the decision to not date her anymore. And I was in turmoil. Like, I mean, we went to Bible college at the same place. And the whole time, I'm like, I'm, I'm stuck on this girl. For real. This is a true story. And so I don't know if you guys remember iPods. Anyone remember iPod photos, right? Got mine from freeipods.com. I'll tell you the story later. That's also a true story. And I had this iPod, and what you could do back in the day before Spotify and all these things is you could, um, you could load it up on your iTunes, and then you could assign whatever picture for the album art. You know what I'm talking about, right? Anyone ever do that? Like, you just put pictures on there because you could. It was just the novel thing to do. And so I would, um, I, I, I would have all these songs that reminded me of Noel. 
And so naturally, I found all of these pictures of Noel, <laughs> and I assigned them to all of these songs. And you're saying, Taylor, this is creepy. And I'm saying, yes, it is, and it gets worse, okay? It gets worse. I, um, I had all these songs, one, one in particular, if anyone remembers it, uh, a song called I'll Be by Edwin McCain. Anyone remember? I'll be your crying shoulder. The raspy, right? I'll be the greatest fan of your life. Yeah? Thank you. I know you didn't come for a concert, but I gave you one. You're, you're welcome. Um, and I had all these songs, and I had these pictures of Noel, and, and, and it, was, it was totally weird. It's totally weird. But it was like what got me through the day, you know what I mean? It, or that's not the, like, it's what, it's what Kate, I don't know, whatever. We're going to move on. It's weird. This is weird. It's weird because it, it's weird. It was really weird. And, and I had all these pictures assigned to the songs. And, and, um, and so I remember I was trying to get over Noel. And the pictures on the songs really didn't help this cause. But there was this girl that I, I'd kind of like, oh, maybe I could, maybe, like, maybe I kind of like her. Like, what if? Like, and this girl, she asked if she could borrow my iPod, which is a great great like opportunity like she's going to be impressed with my music list she's going to think wow taylor's got good taste this could this could take us you know at least to you know to home plate like starting to 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 swing um and so i'm i'm like okay yeah you can have my ipod here's some suggestions and and a few days later i i found this out later she goes up to noel and she says noel um i don't know how to ask you this but did you and Taylor ever have a thing? And Noelle's like, well, uh, why, why do you ask? She's like, well, I, I, don't to, I don't know how to say this. Um, I was borrowing his iPad, iPod, and he's got all of these songs that I really like, these romantic, lovey songs, but all of them have your picture attached to them. And so... I'm thinking, like, either you guys had something or this dude is a real weirdo. And at that moment, I, I completely lost any chance of being with this girl, which I'm so glad it happened because I'm not with her today. I'm with Noelle today after 14 years of marriage. Somehow she overlooked that moment. And, and, and so it's, and you're like, okay, Taylor, what, what does this mean? What's funny is this really did serve as an idol in my life. For, for years. Not just the iPod. I mean, the iPod was the container for what became this thing that I could not let go of. And it became like an idol in my life because it stole my joy and it made me live with anxiety and fear and, and, and that even, even bled into like uh, like envy and hatred and bitterness and frustration and impatience and I was I had no joy and I had no happiness and and it began to set the culture and the atmosphere of my life and even my friends started avoiding me at times because I was so stuck and a lot of times what we do is we look at idols right as it's a thing in a place and it means this but sometimes it's anything that can keep you stuck that you let keep you stuck and there was a moment that finally 
after all of the pride and all of the unwillingness to deal with my own insecurities and my emotions and my immaturities, that I finally went to God and I surrendered the idol. And God began to tear down walls and I began to worship and pray and and seek God. And finally, I surrendered it. And as I surrendered it, it was like just soon after God said, okay, Now I'm going to turn those ashes into beauty. I'm going to redeem that for you and bring it back into your life where instead of it being an idol, it's going to be a monument to my glory. And this is what I love about when God changes a story is that he can turn it into his glory. Wow, that rhymes and it just came to me, Alejandra. But this is the truth. This is the truth. Because a lot of times what we do is we think that to give this up is to surrender what I think my life might look like, and it absolutely is but it's to trust that God has something better. I had to surrender this because it was an idol in my life. And isn't it funny how we don't like the culture of our lives sometimes and it's like a nasty smell of moldy cheese embedded into the carpet in the center of a small, unventilated room, but we spray it with Febreze thinking it will fix the issue. So we try and cover it up, we try and move on, we try and pretend it didn't happen, we try and go a few days, and now the feelings are gone, we're used to the smell, we don't realize it, that it's setting the entire culture of our lives, but we're unwilling to deal with the cheese that is creating the scent. And by the way, sometimes it is important to deal with the smell but you must first remove the thing that is creating the smell. There's an author by the name of Bruce Benson, and he says this about idolatry. Not only are we capable of creating idols and worshiping those idols, but we are likewise capable of being almost or completely blind to their existence. So not only can we create idols and worship them, We can do so not even knowing it. Our recognition of idols, he goes on, our recognition of idols for what they are is often selective. Look at the life of Joash, right? Joash is a young king, and a little bit of his backstory, he became king at seven. And he's anointed king by the priest. Priest Jehoiada was 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 a good man, he was a good priest, and he loved the Lord, he honored God, and he, he really helped Joash in his journey. He became king at seven, which is a, like, if you imagine, like, anybody know my, my six-and-a-half-year-old, almost seven-year-old, Hayden? Like, she wants to be queen. But I don't trust her with anything. Like, the other day, I'm literally, she's at the top of the steps with one arm, our two-year-old, saying, Dad, Look. I can carry her with one arm. (laughs) And then they both tumbled down. I'm just kidding. They didn't. But it's funny because he becomes king at seven. So obviously he needs some help. But what it says is it's fascinating because it goes on the end of his life and, and, and God says this about him. It says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that incredible? That a seven-year-old, God can take your imperfections and your inexperience, he can still twist things and get you to a place where you have success. But he missed one thing. He did not tear down the high places. 
I think it's fascinating that God in his providence, he, he orchestrates it to where we read this because it is possible to do what is right and still miss God. It is possible to honor God and dishonor God. It is possible to obey scripture and yet do what is wrong. It is possible to have your actions in line with what God would say, but your heart removed from him. You, you heard the old proverb, right? It says, eat and drink in the king's presence, but your hearts are far from him. It is possible for you to do every right thing. Use wisdom and good stewardship, be kind and all of those things, and still miss God. If you've got a place that contains idolatry, then friends, you will be just like Joash, where you do what is right, but you still miss the presence of God. The high places. A little bit about these high places were elevated spaces, oftentimes not always high. Sometimes they were at the, the entrance or the gates of a city. So sometimes it was elevated, but sometimes it was first. In either way, it would set the culture of wherever it was. So the high place would be known and it would be seen, and all around it would, it would kind of set and create the culture in whatever city that it was in. So it, it, it was an important thing. It had economic, even economic um, like implications. Those high places meant flourishing at times for the city. And on one hand, they represented that stability, but on the other hand, it's like, you ever been to New Orleans? Anyone ever been to New Orleans? Beautiful city. Music is amazing. The culture is just vibrant, and there's laughter, and there's life, and there's excitement, and there's uniqueness, and there's art, and it's awesome. And there's witchcraft, and they worship sex, and there's, uh, there's, uh, there's demons, and there's devils, and there's darkness. Like, no, for real. Like, you can walk by streets, and you feel pushed back by something because there, there's another God that is not Jesus that is being praised. And so you walk by it, and you sense the culture. It's like, whoa, 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 I, I've, I've only been once. I didn't even go down the streets that led to the street where the things happen. But it's all of these false gods. And what is it, though? If they were to rid New Orleans of that stuff, do you know what would happen to the economy? So what? They find themselves caught between, do we keep people's paychecks? Do we honor God? I imagine Joash perhaps feeling some of the same feelings. I mean, he's a young king, right? His grandma created some of these high places. Had his family murdered too, which is super not nice. Bad people. Lots of things that came before that were really dark and he knew it. You know he knew it. The priest instructed him. But there was something about what will happen when I destroy the high places. All of the people who go up to burn incense, they won't anymore, and it'll disrupt their livelihoods. It'll, be dis it, it will, it'll mess up the flow of the culture of the city, and it, it will, it'll change too many things. I, I, I want them to figure it out on their own time. I don't want to take this away, so what does he do? He finds himself stuck 
I want to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. I want to build the, rebuild the temple, which is one of his good things that he did, which honors the presence of God. But he kept this thing that stands above the temple in opposition to the worship of God. Do you know why God has a problem with high places? Because he's the only God, the only person, the only one worthy of praise. And when you go up to the high place to keep offering incense and sacrifices, what it's saying is you can worship two gods. You can claim one, but then go up to the other and have your economic fix, and you can have your your lifestyle stay, and you can have all of the things, but still honor God with your lips. And we feel the same things today, do we not? Joash finds himself stuck. It's hard because he didn't create the problem. I I, I don't know, and I, I would need to research this more. There are not many times where what was said at the end of a king who did right, that they were the one who created the high place, that they were the ones who erected the idols. There were some, but more often than not, do you know what it was? Somebody before. Some of us have problems that we deal with that we didn't create, but God didn't call them to tear it down. He called you to. God didn't call you to hold somebody else accountable so that that thing can be fixed. God called you to tear down whatever idolatry is around the culture of your life. And if you and I are not careful, we will blame what happened to us two years ago, eight years ago, in our past, in in, in what our dad did to us, what that person, all things that matter, and they even created trauma. They were evil. They were wrong. They were ungodly. God did not cause them. God did not want that to happen to you, and God looks at that, and he wants to wrap his arms around you, but what he will still call you to do is when you see the culture in your life and in your home and in your city, he will say, tear down the high places, worship me. If we're not careful, we will try and worship God, but we will leave the high place erected. All the while crying, I want healing. No, you don't. Because if you actually got the healing you wanted, you would no longer have anybody to blame for your dysfunction. And sometimes this is how we as human beings act, and I'm looping myself in this with you, is that we will say we want something, but we don't know what we would ever do if we were given that opportunity. What if that person came to you and repented? What would you do then? What God would call you to do is forgive them before the, and if they never repent, the, to where you allow him to do a deep work in your heart and in your life to say, if my dad never comes and says sorry, if my dad never tells me that he loves me, if my mom never repents for this thing that, that she said and did to me when I was a kid, if this never changes, then I'm still good because I was not responsible for the high place, but I am responsible with what God has given me now, which is the opportunity to reset the culture so that the people who come after me might experience something different than what I'm having to experience. We got to demolish the high places. God's not concerned like, will I not get the glory? God sees the end from the beginning. He's not insecure. What he wants is for you to stop living bound. And you don't often know it, I don't often know it, that the high place that is the source for all of the things that I think are good in my life is actually the very thing that is keeping me stuck. So why does this matter? I want to talk about three things about high places. And I want to contrast it with three things about worship. Three things about high places and three things about worship. Number one, 
High places thrive on keeping us bound. High places thrive on keeping us bound, but worship sets us free. I love this. Verse three says, the high places, however, were not removed. And this is the line I want us to get. It says this, the people continued. The people continued. They continued to offer sacrifices. They continued to burn incense. What this really means is they kept the cycles going. And the pattern and the cycles and the insecurities and all of the things that we tend to have come at us When we don't remove the high place, we will resent the pattern and we'll keep it going at the same time. We will wish that that didn't, yet we will keep it going. What it says is they they continued to offer sacrifices. When you think back at your life, you're probably not going to, maybe one or two, like the time I drove the car into the river because I thought it would be cool, uh, you know, that's like one of those moments you'll never forget because you probably go straight to heaven at that point. But for the most part, do you know the things that you'll remember? It was the time that you kept coming back to that habit. The time you kept the conversation alive a little bit too long. It's the time that you stayed up a little too late and you gave yourself once again to the thing that you tried to denounce. You let the conversation linger. You had to get the last word in that one more time, but this time the conversation escalated, didn't it? And what happens is the high places thrive on you coming back. This is how the pornography industry keeps going, is it's not worried about whether you look once Where it thrives is when you come back because it keeps you hooked. It's how the, I mean, isn't this how media, like, can we just poke at media? It's like every time your friend is like, did you see this video? (laughs) Everyone's like nervous. What is he going to say? This is going to be the demise of the other party. And you know what happens every time you look? You give them exactly what you want. And what do we do? We keep this fear as an idol in our life, and they get their money still. The high place remains. We become subject to these ideologies, and they will change to fit the culture because their goal is not truth. Their goal is keeping the culture around it hooked to it. Okay? Notice how truth moves. And every side, up, down, left, right, middle, underneath, They all do it because their goal is not truth so often as it is to keep you hooked to whatever they say. So if you stop being hooked, you know what they do? They start changing their method to reach you because they want to keep you hooked because the enemy would have nothing. He wants you not to worship God because when you worship God, you finally find the freedom that you've always craved and wanted. We say we want freedom, but we allow the high place to keep its hold. And every time we go back and every time we respond to the text and every time we lay down and we know we may not even open the drawer, but we know the note that we left in there that's buried, that has a hold in our heart, 
Friends, do you know why God cared partly about the high places being torn down? It's because you could remove the idols from the room, but the room still exists. And when you walk into it, it still carries the same memories. Some of you, some of us, like I did, I had a girlfriend in high school before Noel, and she broke my heart and then ripped it into pieces, smashed it with a hammer, and then some. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Um, and I remember I was so mad. And I was sad for a while, and then I was mad. And I remember, like, like I saw it in a movie. So I took this collage book that she made me, and I burned it and threw it in the garbage. Well, I threw it in the garbage and burned it. <laughs> it like, went up in flames. Deleted her, her text from, like, her number from my phone, because that didn't really do anything, because I memorized it, but... And I couldn't delete the text messages because it was before threaded texting. It was on my old Nokia. I would avoid her because I wanted to move on. But do you know what I kept? I kept the wallet-sized picture. We don't do those anymore, right? I had that little wallet picture in my wallet. And every time I would grab my wallet, I would think of what was and what was no longer. I didn't even realize that I had a high place was carrying around a source of worship. And I was so afraid that I'd never be loved again. I'd, I was so afraid that I'd never, would ha, I, I would never be forgiven by a future spouse. I was so afraid that, that, that I'd never be able to move on. And all the while, I was giving my worship to this little picture without even knowing it. And so what does worship do? When we worship, what it does is it starts to cave in the walls of the high place. This is why we worship every Sunday. I talk about this a lot. You might be like, Taylor, you talk about worship a lot. Yep, it's the answer. It's always been, always will be. Throughout history, do you know what God will call his people to do? Going into the battle, send the worshipers first. This is not an accident. You want to see the walls of Jericho fall around? Walk around it and sing. What? Why? Because worship has been the goal since the beginning of time. And worship will stay the goal until the end of time. And then it will remain the goal when we are in eternity. Worship always has been and always will be the solution. You want freedom? You worship Jesus and you begin to lose the hold or the high place begins to lose its hold on your life. And the walls begin to cave down and the spirit begins to cave in and fill the room. And forgiveness and breakthrough begin to come. And reconciliation happens and healing flows and joy comes back into your life and a sense of vibrance and vision can begin to fill your heart again and you find yourself free and you start to see I don't have to go back to that anymore I don't got to be stuck anymore I can do what Romans says that I no longer have any obligation whatsoever to do what my sinful nature tells me to do but the enemy would try and make you think that you do I just couldn't resist. And that's the lie that he wants you to believe. But God would say, I've never given any temptation to any person that you cannot overcome it with my help. So what do we do? We worship. This is not an end all. It's like, I lift my hands, my problems disappear. Woo no, but what it is, is I lift my hands and my problems get proper perspective. 
I no longer see it as a place that dictates me. I see it as a place that needs a renovation, that God wants to do something different with it, and he's going to demolish it. He's going to reset the foundation and build something that is an ode to his glory and a, uh, like a, a pointing to the fact that God can redeem any situation and any relationship and any story and say, look what God can do. Do you see that story? Do you see that house? Do you know what used to happen there? Do you know who was abused there? Do you know what kinds of things they did in that place? And look what God has done to redeem it. I'll invite the band to come forward. I have some friends who started a church in Portland, Oregon, and they, on Saturday nights, on Saturday nights, I won't go into the things that happened in the building, but they were like, like the, I mean, full on, everything that sexually that scripture would condemn is not good, they would do these acts in this building on Saturday nights. So they said, that's why we chose this building, to do church. And they would find remnants of the things that happened the night before, and we won't go into it, on the floor. And they would, they would, they, they'd get in there and they'd play worship music and project it onto the atmosphere of the room. They'd sweep up this stuff. And they would let their whole church know, you know why we're here? Because we believe that those people are loved by God. God wants to redeem their stories. And so we're going to worship louder than they sin. We're going to sing as loud as we can. We're going to change the atmosphere of this place. And what's crazy is people that would go on Saturday nights started to hear about the church that was happening Sunday mornings. And some of them would give their hearts to God because they sensed there's something I used to be able to come in here and do whatever I wanted, but some reason now I can no longer give myself to these things. Why? Worship changes atmospheres. Worship sets you free. Worship, is it the answer? A thousand percent. Number two, high places depend on you, but worship puts the full weight of your life on Jesus. High places depend on you. They depend on your return. They depend on your worship. Worship. You worship the true God. You remind yourself, I am putting the full weight of my life and my future, my fatherhood, my success, my career, my future, my plans, my insecurities, doubts, the things I wish would have been different, the things that I thought I had more to do with than I really did, my friendships, the ones that are working, the ones that don't, I'm taking it all, giving it back to God. The only thing that can truly give you perspective there is when you worship, because you have to, the reason we lift our hands in some ways is because it signifies a dropping of what was in your hands before. And sometimes it's good, like, sometimes, like, I'm a worshiper. I've been around for a long time. I like to do it. It's just automatic for me. But I love to hear those words, never been more loved than I am right now. I wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. And those words set me free this morning. I don't got to perform. I don't need you to like me. I want you to. I hope you do. I know my forehead's really red from getting all the sun yesterday and I look kind of weird right now and, and I could lose a couple pounds and 
and I wish I was smarter and a little bit better and a little bit skinnier and a little bit cooler. But you know what? At the end of the day, I am not here for you. I'm here to glorify God. And if you come with me, let's go. But I don't need you. And you don't need me. You don't need me to like you, think you're cool. Because you are loved by God. And worship, what it does is it reminds you where you're rooted. Puts the full weight of your life on God. Sometimes you know what we do? We do what Colossians 2.8 says. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. Get this. Which depend on human tradition. And the spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. Your goal in life, friends, let me set you free, is not to discover yourself. It is not to find yourself. It is not to discover who you really are and to look deep within and to live your truest self and to elevate your mind and all of those things. Those are good things. Do it. But that is not the vision. That is not your goal. Because at the end of the day, the goal in this life is that every breath that you breathe, everything that you do, every relationship you have, every part of your family, all of your good and all of your bad, every decision you've ever made and every decision you will ever make is that it would bring glory to God. There is no other reason for your existence. And get this, when you do that, you find the freedom that you thought could come through your own works. But instead, what we do, we, we look for freedom, we find death. Jesus, what did he say? You want to find your life, lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you'll what? You'll what? You'll what? You'll what? You'll find it. So how do I find God? Lose myself. I'm not just talking about atmospheres of worship. I'm talking about that too. We're gonna worship in a second. Great. I'm talking every day. I'm talking in song, but I'm talking in heart posture that you remove the high places and restore the temple of God, which in the Old Testament was a building, but in the New Testament, it is where the spirit of God resides on the inside of you. That he takes residence on the throne of your heart and every idol and every high place in you begins to tear down. You know, if you're deceived, here's how you know. If everything that you're doing rises and falls on you, then you're deceived. The great thing is, God invites you to not be deceived. The recipe, simple. Worship Jesus. Because at the end of the day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. His name is above every name. He's the only one worthy of your life, your adoration, your plans, your future, your struggles, your pain, your trauma, all the stuff. He's saying, Worship me. I can steward better than you can all your stuff. So what do we do? We worship. We change the culture of our lives. This is number three. 
high places erode and destroy every culture they are a part of. But worship sets and redeems any place it goes. I believe prophetically today, I believe this over us and I believe this over you. You can do this in your home. You can do this over your kids. You can do this in your family. You can do this in your car. You can do this over your house. You can do this over your workplace. I even believe that something happens when we gather together and we're two or more gathered in his name, that he's there in our midst. And that as we worship, I, I think sometimes I look out and I, as I stand here, I can see out the window and I, I can kind of like, if I close my eyes for a second, I see Auburn, I see Kent, I see Covington, I see Barrydale. Anyone know Barrydale? Shows up on your maps and the weather. You know what I'm talking about? But no one knows where it is. Barrydale. If you're from Barrydale, I love you. The other Dale, Ravensdale, Hobart, Maple Valley, Enumclaw, Black Diamond, Kent, Fairwood, Renton. See it all. And I believe that the more we worship, the more the Spirit of God begins to overflow and spill out of this place. That not only, quite literally, it can happen. If you don't think it can happen, you need a better theology of place because it's significant. And we also know that has happened here in this building, that in the 1970s and 80s, what was happening here was spilling all over the entire Northwest region to where they streamed video services in the 70s to the downstairs. That didn't happen in the 70s. And it started to change the culture around here. And I believe that this is the call of the church. But it's also a parallel for what ought to happen in your life. That if you want to see the attitudes and the culture and the things in your home change, this is not a fix-all, but it is the place that you start and it's the place that you end. Make sure what you're worshiping is not your family, not your success, not your ideas, but at the end of the day, worship begins to change the culture. You, you got just hard meetings and stuff. Try worship on your drive. Some of you got, you come home. Kids are a little bit out of sorts right now. There's difficulty. Turn up some worship music in your car. Spend five minutes in prayer. And watch how it shifts the culture. Watch how you carry that in. So here's what worship does. And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to close. Some of us, the high places have eroded without us knowing. They've eroded the atmosphere of our lives. We've let them stay too long. If the idol in my life was Noel, the container was the iPod. It was the pictures. It was the the thing that contained it was the invitation. It was the open door. For some of you, it's an old relationship. It's a, it's a thing that you've kept from your past because you can't imagine if I got rid of that, wow, if that's you, you found your idol, 
Guess what? God ain't mad at your idol. He just wants the glory. That's what he's saying. Go get rid of it. Go tear down the high place. Worship me. Watch how I heal your soul. Watch how I redeem your life. I know you gave that to that person. You, you trusted them. They hurt you. He said, I'm not happy about that either. But being mad about that, wishing it didn't happen, has become an idol in your life. Surrender it to me. Worship and watch how I do what only I can do. And he will. Would you lift your hands all over the room? What we do when we do this, this is an outward sign of an inward heart posture. So this is, an, this is a practice that they did all throughout church history and even in the Old Testament. Lift up holy hands. So we do this as a practice, just as a, a, a reminder, right? We don't have many physical things that we do as much today in our Western world, but this is one of those things that we can do. Just saying, God, I give you everything. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Lord, have your way in me. And as I lift my voice and shout, I shout a victory cry knowing that you are victorious, knowing that you have everything that I need, that you are everything that I need. God, I don't need that relationship. God, I don't need that future. I don't need that picture. All I need is you. And I know that if I've got you, I've got everything that I need. So we're going to worship and I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come right up here. If you need prayers, we're worshiping as we close. Come and find them. Surrender your idol. Tear down the high place and begin to give God his proper place in your life as the only one who's worthy of worship, the only one who's worthy of praise, and the only one who can truly love you the way you were designed to be loved. Can we give God some praise? Come on, when we lift our voice and when we shout, come on, miracles begin to break out. Let's begin to sing this with all we've got. Come on, we know that God's gonna begin to tear down walls and redeem and heal. Come on, let's sing it out.